Hi, I'm Lucy Adams from Disruptive HR. Welcome to one of our podcast series where you'll hear from HR practitioners who are genuinely doing things differently. If you're looking to change your HR practices, then why not check out the Disruptive HR Club? It's got tons of videos, webinars and downloadable guides that will give you all the ideas and practical help you'll need. Check it out at www.disruptivehr.club. So hello and welcome to another podcast from Disruptive HR, where we talk to practitioners and people in the profession who are just doing things a little bit differently. And I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Claude Silver, who is the Chief Heart Officer, and we'll probably touch on Heart Officer uh, at Vayner Media. Now, first of all, hello, Claude. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. And well, thank you, because A, you've made the time, but B, uh, we're talking on the on the 4th of November, which is obviously the day after your election. So I imagine because it's 8.30 your time in New Jersey, I imagine you have been up most of the night uh, looking at the the results coming in. Of course, we don't know what the results are going to be, but thank you so much for making the time, particularly on a day like today. I'm I'm really actually so thrilled that we're having this positive conversation and uh, (laughs) um, the news right now. So (laughs) I hear you. I hear you. Okay. Yeah, good. Well, let's just kind of like take our minds off that and focus on positive stuff about all the amazing stuff that you're doing. So Chief Heart Officer at VaynerMedia, just talk, talk us through that. What does that look like? What is that? What is that role? Yes, I love talking about the role because it is quite different. It is not a CHRO or chief people officer. When Gary and I, Gary Vaynerchuk, my CEO, and I really started talking about what we thought of the humans at VaynerMedia, we used the word heart. We always use the word heart. And the reason that we use the word heart is that he and I are both very skewed EQ, empathy, type of leaders. And so our hearts are what you actually see first, what you actually feel first. And when we were putting two and two together, knowing that I did not come from a traditional HR background, it really seemed fitting that A, we are taking care of human beings who have a central operating system called the heart. And human beings are the central operating system of any culture, any company. So the idea that we are looking at the holistic human who has a heart, that is where this name came from. That's what we decided to do in terms of chief heart officer. My role is really, and and continues to be five years in, to touch every single employee and infuse the agency with empathy. Yeah. That continues to be my only job description, my only remit. So if you take touch every human being, okay, that's very high touch, okay, I need to be high touch and infuse the agency with empathy. Well, I need to be leading with my heart and hopefully setting a good enough example or leading with inspiration that people also feel comfortable to show me theirs so that we can work on the whole human. We're teaching human life skills and we're teaching heart skills here. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because so many HR people that we work, you know, thousands that we come across every year, They'll say to me, you know, I went into HR because I actually was interested in people, in human beings. And I feel that 
I rarely think about human beings and people. Actually, what I'm thinking about is the implementation of this process or the um, compliance with this policy. And, and I think as a, as a profession, we've become the process experts and we kind of lost it. Maybe we never had it, but we kind of lost that sense that actually we are the people experts. We're proud of that. We have greater insight, intelligence than perhaps some of our other leaders. And, and the role that we play is to help them get into contact, in, to connect with that insight. Well, I actually believe that the role of HR really is to be that of a coach. It really is to be that of, I use the word Sherpa quite a bit, a guide, yeah. guiding humans through their journey at the company, the organization, whatever, whatever it is. And we have been relegated to the back office where you're shuffling paper, you're doing a lot of bureaucratic work, and you are out of touch mm. with the humans, with the hearts in your organization. Not because yeah. you want to be, because you've been asked to be, because I believe that the world of HR somewhere, somehow was asked to be on the defense in protection of the company. Well, why don't we just flip that for a second and think about we trust our employees, we trust our humans, so that let's go into every situation thinking that we don't need to be on the defense. We don't need to be saying no, 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 no. How about yes and? How about maybe that's possible? Yeah. So if you are trusting your employees to bring their best self to work, to do the role that we've asked them to do, I think that then would allow those people in HR or any type of leadership, quite frankly, to actually care about the humans and show it and be in action about that. So let's just unpick that a little bit because you talked about empathy and you know all of the research tells us and has told us actually for decades, but um, maybe we're waking up to it a little bit more at the moment, that empathetic leaders tend to thrive better in uh, in the chaos the disruption that we're experiencing now we know that uh that empathy um is not necessarily about about sitting next to somebody but i think some leaders and hr people are saying oh it's you know it gets much harder to do empathy when we're in lockdown when we're remote what have you been doing at, at Vayner uh, Media to, to make sure that that empathy that you've been so focused on doesn't dissipate in, um, in a world of lockdown? Yeah, it's a great question because first and foremost, I'm going to use the word empathy and I'm going to combine it with connection. Yeah. Because we are now needing to lean in that much further to connect with someone on screen. You can't necessarily feel their vibe. You know, I can't really like feel your energy, if you will, not to be too, you know, hocus pocus, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. So I have to be using my ears a lot more. I have to be using my eyes a lot more. And the minute the pandemic hit us, especially in New York, and I sent everyone home across the globe to start working from home, it was quite amazing what we saw happen, which were, we started to be more transparent with our communication. From A to Z, whatever it was, we were leaning in harder as a C-suite, as leadership. Yeah. And what you saw was people really responding to that type of truth, really almost you know, happily surprised that we were willing to go the distance and talk about things that we might not have spoken about at scale. So I think the first thing was our, our transparent communication really ratcheted up quite a bit. 
Yeah. And knowing that we were all here on screen, you know, doing a lot of training with our leaders and managers of what it's like to create psychological safety on screen. Mm-hmm. We all pick up the same size boxes. If you are potentially an introvert, it might be even harder for you to speak up on screen. The vulnerability of knowing that we are being invited, like it or not, into someone's background, whether or not that's a, you know, posters on the wall or they're they're in their living room or or they're in their you know bedroom working. I mean, right then and there, we but we all had to acknowledge the fact that this is such a surreal experience. You know, you may not have wanted me to see how you live. And so I hadn't thought of that. You're right. It's a real intimacy, isn't it? It's a real intimacy and it strikes a different chord when it comes to DE&I because there is a level of inclusivity. There's a level of lack of, I need to be able to check my bias at the door. You may have a painting on your wall that is scared. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So the other thing is let's just pretend that there was someone on the screen who potentially an employee who potentially was uh, not out at work. And all of a sudden we're seeing their living room and it's clear there's a lot of potentially rainbow flags or whatnot. I have to be able to really hold that space in a non-judgmental way and strike up a conversation that doesn't just immediately, A, trigger them yeah. into fight, flight, freeze, but also include them into this environment that we're creating together. And one of the things I've been saying a lot is when we're going into these meetings on Zoom, let's get human quickly. Like, let's mm. talk about, okay, how many ways have you cooked chicken in the last six <laughs> Has anyone, uh, you know, gone to Target recently? I mean, yeah. those types of things, right? Yeah. We're all having this collective experience together and then going into whatever the brainstorm is or the meeting's about. So again, it's, it's very human. Psychological safety, creating a place where people feel like they can connect with you and connect with the team on just a very human, real level is for me is what it's about and what it will be about for quite some time. Yeah. And what about this 12 at 12 that I keep hearing about? So what what does that involve? Yeah, it's so it's so lightweight. I love that it's become <laughs> a thing and we you know brand it and get stickers or something. So a week into the pandemic, we were all at home. I was speaking to Gary, my CEO on the phone. He asked me how I was doing. And I said, I'm really missing the energy of being in the offices and the, just the vibe of seeing people. Hey, how are you? So forth and so on. And he said, you need to bring it online. He said, why don't you do it at 12 o'clock and call it 12 at 12? Well, yeah. it now happens at one. It happens at two. It happens at you know. <laughs> based on Singapore's, you know, time difference. But what it is, is it's a very informal way of getting people together from all different disciplines, departments, offices, get them on the screen. We do a quick check-in, how are you doing, so forth. Where are you? What do you do at the company? Because it's, again, a great way to connect. And then I do an icebreaker. And I'm talking an icebreaker, like who would play you in a movie? Uh, tell us the tell us the genesis of your name. <laughs> so basic, because that's what it's about. It's just about connecting people. So it is. I call it twelve at twelve. I do them twice a week now. There are random people that show up. Some people show up two, three different times, and I love it because not only the connection, but that's exactly how we scale this culture. Yeah, 
And also, you know, I think it begins to emulate the serendipity of, of bumping into someone. Whereas obviously most of our Zoom team meetings, et cetera, tend to be very task focused. We have a reason to get on that call and we're going to do X, Y, and Z. Whereas actually what you're creating is there is no task here. It's just the, I'm bumping into you and I'm having a conversation. Okay, so it's structured, it's facilitated, but it, it begins to recreate some of that stuff that we miss. That's right. And, and it really is a way to almost like take a cognitive time out. And that's what walking to the coffee machine did. Yeah, 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 and absolutely. Created, yeah, the informality. And that's exactly what it is. So nice segue again. Thank you for this. This is very helpful. But the, the, uh, the informality piece, now I know that you're big on the, the importance of conversation. And uh, for those people who follow Disruptive HR, you know, we talk about forget the process, focus on the conversation. And I understand that you've been kind of introducing radical candor feedback training to help uh, you drive those better conversations. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. So we started to implement type of radical candor, taking a page out of Kim Scott's book, Radical mm -hmm. Candor, we started to implement this two years ago. And we vainerized it, if you will, and I did a bunch of trainings all over the all over the globe in terms of our different offices. And what we did is we, we spoke to the five principles that she lays out in that book, which are when you give feedback, you know, you're kind, you're clear, you're specific, you're current, and you're actionable. Those are all very basic things too that you that any human being can do. Mm -hmm. And remembering and something that's very, very important, remembering that feedback is a gift. When you are withholding feedback because you are a chicken, you don't want to hurt those that person's feelings, you're afraid. I'm manipulating consciously, subconsciously, your ability to grow and develop and progress. That is not who I want to be. I want to be able to be a guide with my feedback. By the way, it's subjective, right? Feedback's yeah. subjective. But I want to be able to be helpful. And in order to be helpful, I need to be clear, specific, and certainly actionable. So now what we've done is we've taken it 10 steps forward based on the pandemic. And we've brought in a coaching company called the Handel Group, which has an online platform called InnerU, which every single employee across Bainer X, our holding company, has access to. Mm -hmm. And that platform not only allows you and works with you to, to look at why you might be a chicken or why you, why you might be holding back, but it really helps you learn to facilitate those conversations and do a lot of role playing to make it easier to give someone candid you know, candid feedback, honest feedback in a very kind way. And I suppose linking to that in terms of conversations, informality, but recognizing that there's a real sophistication and skill to some of this stuff. Um, you do stay interviews, don't you? You've uh, you've introduced, which, you know, again, we're massive fans of, of that disruptive HR. Why wait until the person's leaving and then put all your effort into trying to keep them to get them to stay and reverse that decision when they've mentally left um, can you describe your approach to stay interviews? Um, do you do it at a particular time or in a particular way? How does that work? 
Yep. So I, I did introduce them because for a while, the most important email that I was reading were, were the exit interviews. And as you say, it's too late. Yeah. So we do stay interviews at 45 days and it's six months. Right. And, and it's a check-in in 45 days. Have you, have you met your manager? Do you know what your roles and responsibilities are? All, all the nuts and bolts that one needs in those first, really those first 90 days, quite frankly. Yeah. And then at six months, we want to get a temperature check of how are you doing? Are you at, are you at ease? Are you nervous? Have you not met anyone? And the questions that we're asking at the six-month stay interview are really stop, start, continue. Yeah. What is there something that we should stop doing? What should we start doing more for you, for you, the human? And what would you like to see us continue and follow through with? And then the reason that we stop at six months is because then by that time, the managers will have taken the ball and run with it. Yeah. Uh, then they have an annual review, of course. But what we at six months, we have a very good understanding of how this person is performing and where, if anywhere, we need to lean in, give them more assistance, or are they taking flight and are they going to be the leaders of tomorrow? Yeah. And we do this across the board, by the way, with every level, I should say. Yeah, but so it's not just targeted at, at yeah. you know, kind of particular roles or particular levels. It's everybody. It's just part of what you do. It Fantastic. A uh, couple more questions from me then. Um, I don't know whether you have any thoughts on this, but uh, it strikes me that given that the, you know, the environment that you're in, um, the sector that you're in, do you have any thoughts on the way in which we can apply a kind of marketing lens to HR? You know, we're seeing increasingly people from marketing backgrounds doing really well in HR because they get the need to segment, differentiate, to use, mar you know, to use um, consumer personas to help um, shape what they do. So what's your, what are your, your thoughts on that in terms of the things that we can learn from marketing? Well, you, you hit the head on the nail there. It's really all about human behavior. And so as a marketer, and I, and I was in advertising and business for so long, you're spending all of your time looking at your audience. You're spending all of your time finding out how to deliver peace of mind or some kind of emotion to them. Yeah. You're really, you're a psychologist and a sociologist in many, many ways. I still think that is highly important when you go into the world of people. It's super important that when you are in HR, you can take those principles of the, the study of human behavior, understanding what makes people tick, where you can help them grow and develop. You take those in and you apply them to each and every individual as a unique person. Yeah. Just like if I was marketing a can of soup in different geographies, I would have to market that in very different ways per geography. Yeah. And so it's really, it's, it's common sense in so many ways. And it goes back to treating humans as humans, treating people as the unique, you know, wonderful, magnificent people that we are full of possibility. And going back to your original question in the beginning in terms of HR relegated to the back office, like we have every right to sit at that table, to take up space at that table and to encourage others to do the same. That's the role here and bringing in common sense, sociology, psychology, power, persuasion, whatever it is to the world of HR is only going to be a win-win. Human behavior is human behavior. There is no difference between who I am when I'm at the, the grocery market 
in who I am at work. And we want to encourage people at work to also be able to be their authentic self. Mm. That's the name of the game. Couldn't agree more. Final question from me, and then I'll let you go. Maybe get some rest. Um, So here we are with this horrible, challenging, very difficult crisis. But I think um, all of us have recognized that it also gives us an opportunity to reset. We talk about a disruptive HR, we talk about this better normal, creating a better normal. Is there anything at VaynerMedia that you have looked at afresh as a result of the crisis that you've stopped, that you've accelerated, that you're doing differently? Is there anything that you could share with us that has um, been prompted by the unbelievable changes we're going through at the moment? Well, actually it's it's the transparent communication. It's the leaning in more, more all hands with Gary, more communication on Zoom, just really leaning in on what's going on at the company. What do our financials look like? What does the landscape look like in the next three to six months? What are we looking forward to in 21? But really allowing every single person to ask any question they want of Gary, of myself, of of other leaders in front of one another. Yeah. So this is on a live, you know, live Zoom link. And it's been so effective. The, the intimacy that you have on screen, if there's your if your CEO is taking up one box and an employee is taking up another box and they're having a conversation and the rest of the company is watching that, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. It's interesting. I was talking to one company who was saying to me that they're never going back to the big town halls, the set pieces, because actually the value of seeing their chief exec sitting there talking about how he's put on weight during lockdown. You know, as you say, there's the kind of the cat walking across the desk and, you know, it's just it's been it's so much more engaging. It's rougher. It's raw, but it's so much more real. And so they're saying, why would we go back to these formal you know, quite structured, scripted type town halls. I, I agree so much because this is real. To deny the experience that we're all having would be silly. It's just silly. Yeah. Why, not, why not lean into it, embrace it if we can, we're in yeah. it together. And every single person either has a baby crying in the background, a dog barking, <laughs> you, haven't, you haven't, you know, brushed your hair, whatever it is. And that I think there's something very magical in that type of connectivity. Yeah. Rather than going back to having a facade. Yeah, exactly. Having a facade, by the way, takes so much energy. Claude, it has been an absolute joy talking to you. I want to thank you again, given I know how much you've got going on professionally, but also in your country at the moment. We wish you all the very, very best from here in the UK. Um, And uh, yeah, sending lots of love and, and good luck with it all. Let's hope it gets resolved soon, at least one way or the other, you'll at least know. Um, but thank you so much for taking the time to tell us what you're up to and the amazing things you're doing at Bainer Media. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a pleasure and uh, hope to see you soon. Let's hope so too. Bye-bye now. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more resources to help you change HR, check out the Disruptive HR Club at www.disruptivehr.club.